Good morning, church. Morning. morning. Uh, today's text, teaching text is Acts 16, 25 through 34. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he, he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning, everybody. I have this chair up here. I might sit. I have a pinched nerve in my leg, and sometimes it gets on my nerves. So we might sit through this, but it's okay. So, uh, like Matt introduced me, I'm Rebecca Andrus. I go by Becca also. Um, I grew up in Texas, and then I went to school at Oral Roberts University. You might have heard of us, you might not. If you have heard of us, it's probably because we were severe underdogs in the 2021 March Madness. Woohoo! Uh, we made it to the final eight, and then Arkansas got us, and it was a really sad time to be on campus, let me tell you. But that was my senior year. Um, and so, for the years that I was at ORU, the mission statement would follow me everywhere. It was plastered on the back of our chapel wall. It was painted places. Like, this mission statement was everywhere. And the mission statement is, raise up your students to hear my voice. Go to where my light is dim, where my voice is heard small, and my healing power is not known, even to the uttermost bounds of the earth. Their work will exceed yours, and in this I am well pleased. God told Oral Roberts this when he started the school, and I'm pretty sure he wrote it down on a napkin. Not that that matters, but it's kind of funny. The mantra of the school, even to the uttermost bounds of the earth, kind of changed into whole leaders for the whole world, and this was painted everywhere. All of our classes were in one big building, and there was, like, these very steep steps that you had to go up to to get to the building. Am I, like, making noise? I feel like there's a ringing. Is it that mic? Anyways. (laughs) Um, And so big steep steps that you had to go up to get to the class where the classes were and they were painted whole leaders for the whole world painted on these steps and you just you don't know true humility until it's snowing and icing outside and you're walking up the steps and you just fall all the way down and then you're sitting at the bottom of the steps looking up to whole leaders for the whole world and that's probably a unique experience to me but (laughs) it's it's happened multiple times. Uh, (laughs) um, But the sentiment of whole leaders for the whole world, go to the nations to make disciples, is echoed everywhere in church. I mean, here in the GC, or in the GC, in the Fellowship Hall, we have um, global outreach, and we have all of the painting, y'all know what I'm trying to say, the painting with the flowers or the tree leaves, whatever they are, um, and like the families that we, that we help and we support that are doing missions, and this is very common language for us to use um, to go and be missionaries and to make disciples and stuff, but to the early church, to the disciples, this was a very abstract thought. The disciples heard this and they thought, maybe you misspoke Jesus. Did you mean Israel when you said the whole world? 
Um, I'm going to read Acts 1-6 real quick. So this is after Jesus was crucified and brought back to life, and he was just chilling with the disciples for a little bit, and it was right before he was going to get taken up. Um, The disciples gathered around Jesus, and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? The Israelites, the disciples, were so used to this idea of Israel versus the world. Even at one point, they tried to racially segregate communion. This is what makes Pentecost so remarkable and what our 21st century brains could easily miss. In Acts 2 is when Pentecost happens. It's when the Spirit fell upon people in the upper room. It was an imparting of the Holy Spirit for the first time. The Spirit gave people diversity of words, languages, senses, everything. So if your hope and understanding had revolved around the national restoration of Israel for your whole life like it had for the disciples, then the Spirit-inspired experience would have come as a complete shock. Pentecost is the advent, the beginning of a kingdom without borders. The Great Commission in Matthew 28 tells us this clearly, go out to the world. So of course, the greatest gift that God could give in us, the down payment that Jesus gave us would help us accomplish that call. And the greatest gift being the Holy Spirit. So we are in a series of Baby Changes Everything. So how did the baby change the Holy Spirit? For that, we have to look at the Old Testament versus the New Testament. The Israelites, the disciples, were so used to the Lord dwelling with them selectively. The temple is the example that you could give where only the high priest could go into the tabernacle, into the Holy of Holies, and speak with God. His spirit would come upon people as needed. In John 14, 7, it changes preposition when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. The spirit will no longer dwell with us, but in us. Jesus came to be the ultimate high priest, to be the bridge between the spirit and us. We no longer have to go into the tabernacle or into the Holy of Holies because he now dwells in us. Jesus changed everything. Jesus' answer to the, Israel, or to the disciples earlier from Acts 1 said, he said, It is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set to you by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit was sent to be a witness to the ends of the earth. Everything that Jesus did in the Gospels in his 33 years on the earth was to expand the kingdom. If he only came for salvation, he could have died when he was 11 or 12 and did the whole crucifixion thing then. But he stayed for 33 years because community, because the kingdom is important. We see this play out in Paul's life, and that's who I want to talk to you about today is Paul. But I'm going to pray real quick, and then we can get into studying the word. So, Lord, thank you so much um, for this church, for this body. Thank you that we get to talk freely about your word, that we get to talk about the Holy Spirit and the Bible and scriptures. Jesus, I'm just so thankful um, that you sent your son to die for us and that the Holy Spirit now dwells in us to continue furthering your kingdom and to continue showing people what that love looks like. So, Amen. So I want to talk to you all today about Paul and Silas. I love the story of Paul. He's one of my favorite Bible characters. Um, We actually talked about Paul this summer in City Kids. So if there's any kids in here, you might know the name. Um, But if you're not familiar with Paul's life, Paul started out as Saul, and he was persecuting Christians. He was public enemy number one to Christians. And then on Damascus Road, he had this insane vision of the Lord 
So Saul turned to Paul. He had a completely identity change. He, he came to the Lord and decided he wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. And so he learned from the disciples, and then he started wandering around and evangelizing to people. So that is a very summarized uh, summer, summary of his early life. Uh, but if you don't know Paul, totally read about him. I love him. But anyways, so starting here, Paul was wandering around. He was wandering around with Silas, and they were going to places to talk about Jesus, to spread the good news, all that fun stuff. And I'm going to start reading from 16.6. So if you have your Bibles, you're more than welcome to open it. If not, it'll be on the screen, and I'm going to read it out loud. So starting in verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of I'm so, I do not know how to say this name, Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mycenae, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mycenae and went down to Trous. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready to leave at once for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love that wording where it says, it says, we went at once. I love the urgency in that. It reminds me of when God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. He went the next morning. They were so readily available to the Spirit, and they listened so quickly. And I just, I strive to, to be able to listen to the Spirit like that. So... Paul listened quickly, and then starting in verse 11, they make it to Macedonia, they go from Trous, and they, Paul and Silas go to the wall to pray. And this is 16, um, verses 11 through 15, if y'all want to follow along. But they made it to Macedonia, they went to the wall, and they're praying, and they met this woman while they were at the, at the wall, and her name was Lydia. And so Paul starts talking about Jesus with her, it's like, you know, whatever, just saying, like, Jesus changed my life, he could change your life, and, and she was, she was a woman of God, and so she listened, and, and she accepted Jesus, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, and so she was baptized, her whole family was baptized, but what's really cool about this is that she was a dealer in purple cloth, so she was, she was pretty big in her community, it would be like one of us going to Lady Gregory's or one of the bookstores or somewhere in Andersonville and talking to the owner and being like, man, like, listen about this Jesus guy. He's really cool. And then believing it and, and changing their lives. That's how important she was in the community. That would change Andersonville. I mean, that would definitely get people talking. Um, so right off the bat, Paul and Silas are probably feeling pretty good about themselves. I would have been feeling pretty good about myself. They baptized Lydia, her household, this really important woman. They got to spread the good news of the Lord. Um, and they, I would have been thinking at least, like, oh, this is probably why the Lord called me here. Like, this, this, is, this is it. This, is, this was why I was supposed to come to Macedonia. It all makes sense. But Paul and Silas stuck around for a few days. They were still wandering around. And then this woman started following them. Now this woman, it says in the Bible that this woman had a spirit that predicted the future. So a demon. So she started shouting and she started mocking them like, you, y'all are preaching this about the Savior. You're telling them people the way to get saved. And, and she was just mocking them, making fun of them. And so for a few days, this woman was following them around until Paul was finally like, dude, you're so annoying. I'm done. Like, demon, get out. Like, go. So this is what the Bible says, guys. And so, <laughs> so the demon flees immediately. But because this woman was 
had masters who were abusing her essentially and, and um, using her for the demon and for predicting the future, these masters now lost all of their, the money that she was bringing in. And so they were pretty upset um, and they took Paul and Silas to the magistrates and they were like, these guys are doing stuff that is unlawful in Rome do something with them. The magistrates were like, jail. Straight to jail. Um, so, Paul and Silas ended up in jail after being flogged. Which, which is, I, I just, I would have had some words with the Lord at this point. Um, because he called me to Macedonia, right? Like, if I was Paul and Silas, he called me to Macedonia. I was feeling good. We got this, like, lady, her family that was really big in the community. Like, we got her on our side, basically. And, like, now I'm in jail after being flogged. I, I just, I would have been really upset. But in verse 25, it says that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Now it's important to note here a few things. Paul and Silas were praying and singing. Scholars are not, had said that it's not just, they weren't just like, like singing to pass the time. They were singing with adoration. Like they were actually praising God. And then the prisoners were listening to them and not just listening like, oh my gosh, my crazy inmate prison buddy is singing and like I can't run, so I have to listen. They were listening intently. That's what the verb, verb here is, is, is they were listening intently. So that's just crazy. That just gets me every time. But anyways, we will continue on. <laughs> um, in verse 26, it said, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundation of the prison was shaken. At once, all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. So under Roman law, if a jailer accidentally or purposefully or whatever lets their prisoners escape, the jailer now has the punishment of whatever the prisoners were in there for. So this jailer thought all of his prisoners were going to escape because the, every, the jail broke, right? And so he, he's ready to end it all. He's, he's like, take me out now, right? But Paul, loving the person, loving the jailer, says, hey, don't worry. We're all here. We're all staying put. No need to do anything hasty, right? It doesn't say that that Paul stuck around because he wanted to share the gospel. It doesn't even say that Paul tried to evangelize to him. My pastor in Tulsa, she always says, love without agenda. And that's what Paul and Silas were doing here. Because they didn't stick around for any certain reason. At least it doesn't say. They weren't thinking, oh, if I stay, we could talk to him about Jesus. They stayed because they cared about the person, about his life. And so the jailer called for the lights, rushed rushed in and found and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It was this unagended, uncalled for loved that brought this man to salvation because he saw how much he was cared for. That is what Jesus was here for. That's what the Holy Spirit teaches us to do. So, little recap. Paul and Silas were listening intently to the Holy Spirit So twice they were told, you can't go here, don't go there. And then they made it to Macedonia because of a vision that Paul was given through the Holy Spirit. And then when they got to Macedonia, had cool moments, and then ended up in jail. 
So in Galatians 5.22, the fruits of the Spirit are listed. Um, if you've been around the church, you might know them. You also might not. I didn't know them for a while. I'm not going to lie to you. There's a lot of them. They are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. I think it is safe to say that peace and joy are very exhibited in this story. Paul and Silas had enough peace not to worry, and instead they put their trust in God. They had joy enough to praise and pray to God. And because of listening to the Spirit, and it had to be the Spirit, because who could be that chill in that situation? They were able to point people to Jesus, which is the whole point of everything, to bring the kingdom of God to people. I'm sounding repetitive, but maybe, maybe it'll get through y'all's head because it's still not getting through my head. Bringing Paul to Macedonia brought the good news from the continent of Asia to Europe for the first time ever. Everything the Spirit was doing was to bring the news of Jesus to people. Even because of the way that the Spirit routed them through Trous, they picked up Luke, which is the, the writer of the Gospel of Luke and Acts, which who knows how many people have come to the kingdom because of the book of Luke and Acts. Paul and Silas understood something that, like I said, I'm still trying to learn. I'm sure y'all are still trying to learn. It's something the disciples had to learn, that the Spirit is here to continue God's work, to bring God's kingdom, and sometimes that puts us in uncomfortable positions, but our comfort is second to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. So, Paul and Silas listened to the Spirit as I really, really hope to, as I wish to, as I try to. But like I said, Paul had to learn how to do this. The disciples had to learn how to do this. There's a story in, in Genesis where Jacob is making his way back to, to Abraham's land where his family was from to find a wife. And he's trucking along and he takes a nap or he goes to sleep. I don't know. Just says he went to sleep. Um, and he has this dream and, and the Lord comes to him in this dream and he's like, hey, bro, like you're going to be great. I already promised Abraham all these things. Like You're doing really good. Keep doing what you're doing. Love to see it. I'm here with you. And Jacob wakes up. And he says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. So often I think that we don't quiet ourselves enough to realize that the Holy Spirit is with us. Just like the disciples thinking that God was only bringing the kingdom to Israel, they didn't stop to think what his words meant. Sometimes we need to slow down, wait, pay attention to discern what God is doing. If Paul and Silas didn't discern through the earthquake, they might have fled and let the jailer and his family to who knows what. Everything is about turning to God and receiving the grace for something bigger than we could have imagined or hoped for, even at the expense of our comfort, especially at the expense of our comfort. Each time that the Spirit arrives, diverse people are made into families, and we expand the kingdom and show the love of Jesus. We might not be jailed for our religious beliefs where we live today, but we still have things that the Holy Spirit asks us to do that make us uncomfortable don't know if you can tell, but I am so uncomfortable up here. <laughs> I do not like speaking in front of people. Just, I'm an introvert, and so having attention on me is just makes me squirm a little bit. Um, but the Holy Spirit asks me to speak in front of people actually quite often, which is just a funny little joke. But <laughs> through so much prayer and so much listening to the Holy Spirit and asking for so much peace, I can be up here. I've, I've preached before in the past, and in the past when I was, like, really young, and I don't know who gave me a mic or why they asked me to speak, but 
I didn't know about the Holy Spirit and how much he could bring me peace. And so I would be like puking in the back before getting up on stage to talk because that's how anxious it makes me. But like today I was chilling. I was a little anxious, but like I was chilling. I was talking to y'all. And that's the Holy Spirit. Like that is not by me. I cannot stress that enough. That is all the Holy Spirit. And it's so easy to be like, okay, Becca, but like, Holy Spirit's not asking me to get up there on stage and and preach a message, or maybe it'd be super easy for you to get up here and perform a 50-minute message, but our lives are living testimonies. It's so easy to go about our day-to-day lives, to make lunch, pick up the kids, go to school, go to work, and not give a second thought about the Holy Spirit. Paul says to pray without ceasing, talk to the Holy Spirit without ceasing. I paint my nails a lot. They're, they're all fun blue colors right now. But when I was younger, I would often ask the Holy Spirit, hey, what color should I paint my nails? And he would give me some, like, random, like, purple because you're royalty, right? Like, just something, like, just something fun. But whenever anyone would ask about my nail color, I'd be like, oh, thank you. Let me tell you about Jesus. And it was a little bit, like, more cooler than that because I, I wasn't just in their face. But... The sentiment is the same. I wear, like, fun shirts that talk about Jesus, and when people comment on them, I get to be like, oh, my gosh, it's because I just, I love the Lord so much, and let me tell you what he did to my life. But that's how we let our lives be testimonies. The Holy Spirit took my life from a very colorless existence. I was hopeless and pretty angsty as a teen. I was just kind of mad at the world. But then Jesus met me in a youth group sanctuary and showed me color. And while it was a very long road to get me here today, I'm so, so grateful for the color that my life has. Yes, the Bible tells us to spread the good news, but I want to share the thing that saved me. If someone saved you from certain death, wouldn't you want to honor them in all the ways you can, speaking of their glory everywhere you go? All is to say, what if it is just not about us? What if it is all about loving people well and showing that love that was so freely given? We get very comfortable in our Western churches that we show up on Sundays and we maybe hang out with each other during the week, maybe do a Bible study, but how are we expanding the kingdom? How are we allowing the Holy Spirit to move in the way that he wants to move? I had a professor that always said, this isn't the gospel of salvation, but the gospel of discipleship. We have a Savior who doesn't leave after the saving, so who are we discipling? Who are we loving without agenda? Who are we inviting into the good news in our day-to-day lives? This might not always, though it certainly can and certainly does, but it might not always look like talking about Jesus with everyone we come in contact to, but it certainly looks like creating intentional relationships and asking the Holy Spirit, how can I love this person well? After Pentecost in Acts, it says that the numbers of the church grew daily. This is the will of God. This is what the Holy Spirit helps us achieve. It helps us love people better, helps us show people a life of color, helps us invite people into the good news. So, a baby changes everything. Our lives are not just our lives anymore. Katie Davis writes in one of her books, We Bend. I bend to sweep crumbs, and I bend to wipe vomit, and I bend to pick up little ones and wipe their tears away. And at the end of these days, I bend next to the bed, and I ask only that I could bend more, bend lower, because I serve a Savior who came to be a servant. He lived bent low. It bent down here is where I see his face. He lived only to die. Could I die to self and just break open for love? This Savior, his one purpose to spend himself on behalf of messy us. Will I spend myself on behalf of those in front of me? And people say, don't you get tired? And yes, I do. 
but I'm face to face with Jesus in the dirt. And the more I bend, the harder and better and fuller that life gets. And sure, we are tired, but oh, we are happy because bent down low is where we find fullness of joy. Our life is not our own. We follow a savior who modeled how to live for other people. I always pray that I would fail without the Holy Spirit. I always pray that if the Holy Spirit doesn't come through, I would fall flat on my face. I mean, me moving out to Chicago is an example of that. I knew no one out here. I knew nothing about this church. (laughs) Nothing. But I knew the Holy Spirit asked me to come here. And I'm so honored to be here. (laughs) The Holy Spirit is not an accessory to my life. He is the forefront of it. He has changed everything. And so even in the uncomfortable things that he asks me to do, like standing in front of you all right now, (laughs) I find joy in it and I find peace in it because I'm not alone. The Holy Spirit is here to help me. Like I said, the baby changes everything. When one is born, the whole house changes. You have to baby-proof everything. Your sleep schedule is messed up. Toys and diapers are everywhere. When the Holy Spirit came in and changed the house, he added room after room so that all our new brothers and sisters would have space to belong. He built a longer table, and we are called to partner with the Holy Spirit in filling it up. When you are living in your life in the Holy Spirit, the one that now dwells in us because of Jesus, we get to witness to people and expand the kingdom, which I've been saying is just the whole point of everything. So, which uncomfortability do you need to focus on this week? Do you need to set a reminder on your phone for every 10 minutes to check in with the Holy Spirit? That would be kind of annoying and pretty uncomfortable. (laughs) But maybe that's how you can check in with the Holy Spirit and make it part of your day. But maybe you're already, like, really good at checking in with the Holy Spirit. You're constantly talking to him. And you just need to start focusing on how to walk through obedience or how to step out in faith or how to love people better. Either way, I want us to practice this uncomfortability as a church. So, Maggie and the band, if y'all will come up. 